because it's Christmas. Hold on, not yet. Hold on, hold on. Now it's Christmas. Nobody can stop me. Thanksgiving's gone, okay? So my name is Melody, and I'm one of the pastors here, just if you don't know me, and I am also Santa's favorite. In case you were wondering, now you know. Uh, if you feel that, you know, in the middle of the night, something is telling you that, oh, I should really, who should I, who am I missing a gift for? It's me. Okay? You can gift me all the things. You can drop off things at my doorstep. I will eat it. I will wear it. I will happily be holly and jolly all month long. So... You think this sweater is something, just come next week, okay? Well, welcome, my name is Melody, and um, welcome if you have not been here with us yet. Um, we are just excited that you are here. We're excited that we have awesome music played up on stage, yeah? Yeah. Um, and we're just excited that you are here today. Whatever brought you here today, for whatever reason you're here, we are happy that God has brought you to this place. And so thank you for joining us today. You know, last night I was reading my little devotional here, <clears throat> and it said, you know, just uh, over this holiday season, it was the first time that my family and I were kind of by ourselves. And of course we have all of you, of course I know that, but it, you know, our house from going from nine to six felt a little different this year. And so I was thinking, oh, what do I do? Do I do this? Do I do this? Do I do this? Do I do that? And so I read this thing. It said, change your focus, determine your pace, adjust your priorities. And this could be the most life-giving holiday season yet. And I thought, isn't that true? Change my focus. It's not about, I don't have the nine people in here anymore. It's about the six people in front of me. Uh, determine your pace. I don't, I don't have to do everything. Um, what is the other one? Change your focus. Yeah, and what am I going to be focused on? I'm going to tell you right now. One of the things that we are very, very, very excited about this week is that on Saturday is our first annual, we'll see if it's annual, see how it goes, but this is our first Christmas community walkthrough. Come on. <laughs> We have given out these invitations all over the place. Let me tell you, we've given it out to the Thursday Connect kids. We've given it out to our pantry guests tomorrow. We're walking over to the condos, giving it out there. We have given this out everywhere. Sandy Miss Retirement Center maybe too? I don't know. It's, this is everywhere. Now let me tell you something. <clears throat> when uh, on Thanksgiving Day, my husband looks at me and says, Melody, it says 50% chance of rain on Saturday. And I said, well, it's California. That doesn't mean anything. And he says, no, look, it's like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And I was like, oh, no, that might mean something. So I get here, and uh, we're serving in the pantry with Regine and Paul. Where are you guys? Oh, yeah, there you are. And Paul says, well, Melody, but I was ready to cancel it, actually, yesterday. I was like, okay, we'll just cancel it. There's, you know, oh, well. We'll just do something else. Another day, we'll give them a bag of goodies, or you know, we'll see our community on another day. And uh, Regine's like, okay, how do we get this done? How do we get this done? And Paul says, well, Melody, 
if there's two people that come, then that's two people that come. And those are the two people that need to be here. And so I said, okay, Paul, well, I'm just gonna, whatever. Good, nice speech, but okay. <laughs> then I call my boss and I say, Grant, I need a consult. What do you think? And he said, Melody, if there's two people that come. <laughs> so I was like, okay, Jesus, I get it. So next Saturday is our community Christmas walkthrough. And if two people come, well, two people come. But we are gonna move our walkthrough inside. And this is very much gonna be like a Christmas fair with different stations. And we're just giving away a bunch of stuff. We wanna be generous. We want to be a place where someone can come and feel seen and loved and heard. And we want to be the community church that does these things. We see you. We want to know your name. Okay? So if you are not signed up for this, this is next Saturday. I fully believe that you should be signed up for this. So I will be outside on the patio waiting for you to say, Melody, sign me up. And if you don't, I'm just going to side-eye you a little bit like this. But I know there's commitments. I know some people have said, oh, I have a wedding, blah, blah, blah. That's great. But if you don't have plans, you should be at this community Christmas walkthrough. And I have a few flyers for you to give out if you have a neighbor or, I don't know, someone you meet at the supermarket maybe this week. Just go, here you go. So I did give out my card the other day at TJ Maxx, my, my pastoral card, because I didn't have my ID with me. And I was like, I'm a pastor. I swear my name is Melody Anderson. Here's, here's my business card. It says pastor on there. I wouldn't lie to you. And she was like, okay, I guess. So, I mean, it was funny. Maybe you had to be there. Okay. So anyway, sign up for that. Uh, that is this Saturday. And I promise, even if you're just volunteering, you will have a great time. You'll be serving next to someone. You'll be moving stuff. You'll, you might just be sitting there and giving out a little verse card. Whatever it is, you won't be sorry you came. Amen? Amen. I hope so. Come see me after church. Um, the other thing that's happening next week is next Sunday is Soup Sunday, Community Lunch Sunday. And uh, you stay after church for just a little bit, and we'll play some Christmas music and have some Christmas soup. It's just regular soup, but we're going to call it Christmas soup. Uh, and we just stay a little bit to get to know each other and uh, just, you know, maybe say hello to someone who you always see in passing. Oh, I want to know what Kathy and Mondo, how their Thanksgiving was. Oh, I want to see how Ralph is doing at work. So whatever it is, just stay for a little bit, and we invite you to that. Um, and the other thing that is happening uh, on Friday, December 16th, is we are having something called Coco in the Courtyard. And this is a really, really fun night. A lot of kids get out for um, spring break, not spring break, Christmas break on this Friday. Um, it's just a really fun night. Kids come in their PJs. Adults come in their Christmas gear. We sing Christmas carols. We play Christmas bingo. So if you are available that night, it is a lot of fun. So please, please come to that. And we have little cards for that too. I put it in the kids' room, and I told the teacher today, I told Kate, I was like, give this to the kids so that they make their parents come, okay? So uh, everyone is invited to that. Whether you have kids or not, it's just a really fun, fun event to come to. And lastly, I don't have one with me here, but uh, in the back we have, um, Grant is going to say this later, we have uh, Advent 
cards for this Advent season. Uh, today kicks off our sermon series, A Christmas Carol, and you will have a card that tells you every sermon we're doing during this time, and also it gives the details of our Christmas Eve service. Christmas Eve, candlelight service here, 7 o'clock, okay? So I hope, I hope, I hope, like I said, I know we have stuff, right? I just said change your focus, set your pace, adjust your priorities. I know we all have stuff to do. It is a busy season, yes? But I hope, I hope, I hope you are able to do some of these things because some of these things are the stuff that really matter, you know? All, all the things we do matter, but some of these things, maybe you come one day and you're going to be the smiley face with the... Christmas sweater that somebody needs to see that morning. Maybe you're going to say hello to a neighbor this week and invite them to um, the community walkthrough, and maybe they come here and they feel loved. So whatever it is you do, I hope you take note of this and take this invitation and, and do something with it. Can we do that? Yes? Thank you. All right, let's pray and we'll get moving. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for... Um, just this place, thank you for the songs and the decorations and just all these things that make up what today is, God. God, as we um, prepare our hearts to listen to what is to come, God, I pray that, um, that, God, you would just meet us right where we're at, whether we came in holly and jolly or we came in like uh, Scrooge, Lord. I just pray that uh, you would be able to Speak to our hearts in a way that, God, we would know it is you. We would know that you are just trying to, to, to open our hearts to what is to come during this season, God. God, I pray for Grant and the message right now, God. Would you uh, speak through him and use him, and thank you for him, Lord. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Can I have you? No, I'm just joking. I'm good. I'll get one from you later. Good morning, New Song. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is my lovely wife, Lindsay. You volunteered me for this. Who's very excited that I volunteered her for this. Uh, each, uh, so starting our Advent series, one of the things we're going to do each week is we're going to take a little time and we're going to read a small excerpt through uh, the Dickens Christmas Carol, and then we're going to follow that with some scripture reading as we light the Advent candles. So that's what we're going to be doing right now, and we'll be continuing this all the way through our Advent season. So with that, go ahead. Jacob Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt about that. The register of his burial was signed by the priest, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and Marley were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his only executor, his only administrator, his only friend, his only mourner. Scrooge never painted over old Marley's name, however. There it still stood years afterwards above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. The business was still known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the company called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes they called him Marley. He answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but Scrooge was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Micah 5.2. <clears throat> but you, Bethlehem Eph Ephrathah, 
though you are small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for, for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Isaiah 9.2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you so much. So welcome to this first Sunday of Advent. I can't believe it is here so suddenly. It's almost the end of the year. Um, I just want to say um, before we begin this uh, sermon, uh, just uh, continue to pray for our good friend Farid. I actually spoke with, the, with Farid this morning. He's in, he's in the hospital. He has COVID. And if some of you have met him, he has a lot of breathing issues already. He's doing okay though. Um, but there's been an outbreak at the retirement center, so we were unable to go there on Wednesday. Uh, they have about 21 cases, apparently. So just be praying for all those folks, because a lot of people are, have got a lot of issues uh, that that's not really a good situation. Um, so I, I called, talked to our friend Lou, though, I said, because I heard that she, she had it, and I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm fine. I feel great. I'm just, cab I got cabin fever. She said, I've got uh, Jesus DNA. She said, <laughs> nothing can touch me, she said. And she, man, she is, <clears throat> she is incredible. So they're doing okay. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so Advent. Advent, uh, for those of you who don't know what that word means, we say these words sometimes and we're like, what on earth is Advent? It, it's a very old word from a Latin word meaning the arrival of something important. The arrival of something important. Something is about to happen. And really, so Advent is it's about a time of preparation for an arrival. That's what we're doing in Advent. That's the wrong picture. Do you one before that? Okay, whatever. Oh, there isn't one. Okay, no worries. There's a, that just kind of gave the whole thing away. I may as well stop now. So, can you think of arrivals that you might have to prepare for? <laughs> so, you get it, right? You get the picture? Get the idea? Get a clever illustration? Let's think about that though. Okay, so a baby comes. Funnily enough, we are thinking about the arrival of a baby who grew up to be a man, who grew up to be, be the savior of the world. Uh, but let's just shout out, what things do you need to do to prepare for the arrival of a baby? Kiss your life goodbye, my wife said. <laughs> What's that? You have to make room for the baby. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of preparation, isn't there? Get more, I wrote that down. It says, I've got clear your calendar and get as much sleep as possible. 
because you're going to lose a lot of sleep. Uh, you know, it's amazing, though, just all the shouting out of things that, you know, think about something important arriving. There's a sense that we should be preparing and not just blunder into this thing. And really, that's what uh, this Advent season's about. Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago, and we prepare ourselves over the next few weeks for the celebration of that arrival. It's a very intentional thing. You know, we, we talk about this a lot, that we're, we're called to be disciples, and that involves another similar word, which is discipline. So we can discipline ourselves through this time to be receptive, to engage intentionally, because this stuff doesn't happen by accident. We're not naturally uh, very good sometimes at spiritual maturity and growth, so we have to engage with it. Um, so we're invited to intentionally engage together over the next four weeks towards the time when we will celebrate the birth of Christ. And then also when we get there after engaging intentionally, how much more of a celebration will that be when we have that sense of, of, of uh, joy in celebrating that? So how might we best take this journey together, at least here on Sunday mornings? Well, I think it's a good thing to look back and to look forwards perhaps and also kind of think about where we are in the present so over the next four weeks, we're going to consider the message of the birth of Jesus alongside the story of a man called Ebenezer Scrooge, the main character in Charles Dickens' book, A Christmas Carol. Who here is familiar with the story of Scrooge, A Christmas Carol? Pretty much everybody. Okay, so that's an easy question. Anyone volunteer to give a quick version of it with a microphone in your face? Anyone? Quick version? I mean, very quick. Summary. Cliff notes. Who said? Who's there? All right, Douglas, okay, in 30 seconds or less, the story of Scrooge and Christmas Carol. Scrooge is a jerk. <laughs> He's visited by Marley the ghost, and Marley says there's going to be three more ghosts, and they convince him that he's a jerk, and he needs to change his ways. I'm not going to tell you if he does. Oh, nice one. No spoilers. Like when someone tells you the score of a World Cup game before the, you've watched the game. Just don't do it, okay? You may think it's not important, but it crushes my soul to watch a game, the result of which I already know. Um, thank you so much, Ar. That was a very succinct, exactly what I was looking for. Um, so why think about Advent uh, this year in terms of, the, alongside with this story of Scrooge? Um, well, I've had this little word play, if you see it in the worship guide, it says, uh, Jacob Marley, Joseph and Mary. I know it kind of seems to fit well, but there's lots of reasons why a Christmas carol kind of fits for this time of year. Well, it's coming up to Christmas, right? Uh, you know, some people have called Charles Dickens the inventor of Christmas because, you know, he's just such a part of this season. But also there are so many themes in this book that are also themes in the kingdom of God and the gospel, Themes such as darkness and light. Has anyone read the book, actually? I'm not talking about seeing the movie. Anyone read the book? Got some readers in here. That's good. Because there's often stuff missed out from the movies that, that you know, are in, is in the, the novel. I'd recommend it. So it's quite a short book. Uh, darkness and light, life and death, mystery, judgment and redemption, repentance, decisions, choices, and consequences, hope, community, and humor. Charles Dickens is very funny. There's lots of humor in this book, but there's always a serious note. You know, humor can be a powerful force for good when there's something that is humorous, but yet there's always a sense that this is urgent and important news. The second reason why, second set of things, is there's four parts to the story, and that's quite good, because pastors are always struggling around about October, November to go, Advent's coming up, it needs to be a four-part series. Uh, you know, and we go like, okay, we've got, you know, faith, hope, love, joy, uh, you know, 
Jesus was king and priest and prophet and savior, right? And I was just thinking about it, I thought, this is quite interesting. There's, there's four spirits, there's four weeks to Advent. There's also the concept of the past, the present, and the future. It's all through this story, and it's so important to realize that the gospel story also has an important past and a, and a future and also a present. Uh, and we, too, have opportunities, perhaps, to change our ways. I think many times we, we watch Scrooge's journey, and we get so excited when he perhaps chooses or not chooses to change his ways. We don't know yet, but we'll find out. Uh, we want to hear the truth about our past, present, and future, that we might live lives of purpose and joy in Christ. But also, not only that, individually and just the fact that it fits well, but also Charles Dickens, the writer, had a lot to say, has a lot to say to us as the church, because he had a great deal to say to the church in his own time and place. Some people have said that Charles Dickens was kind of anti-Christian, but it wasn't so much that. He was very critical, I think, also more, more so of the spirit of the church and the, the activities of the church in his time. Uh, this a guy I was reading a book about God and Charles Dickens uh, says, the church to which Dickens spoke was a church in transition, not unlike the church today. As such, Dickens' words may resonate for us in particular ways that remind us of what the church should be and how the church might become what it should be in the days ahead. So Charles Dickens, it's important to know the author. When we do a Bible book, we wonder about who was Matthew? What can we know about him? So Charles Dickens was born in February 7th, 1812. And he died in, on June 9th, 1870. He died of a stroke. He lived for only 58 years. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Charles Dickens' father got into some financial difficulties when Charles was only about 12 years old and was thrown into the debtor's prison. And Charles Dickens ended up working in the poorhouse in a factory. A terrible back-breaking experience that he, he always kind of fed into how he saw the treatment of the poor, but also his own drive to, to accomplish a lot in his life. Um, he wrote 20 novels and hundreds of short stories and, uh, and non-fiction articles. He was very supportive of many, many, many charitable organizations. He was fiercely energetic uh, at his work, both in his writing and his, in his activism. He uh, helped to found a place called Urania Cottage, which was a place for women who had fallen into prostitution. And it was an escape from the prison to get them uh, rehabilitated back into the, into the, the world again. Uh, in fact, someone said uh, about him there was scarcely a worthy cause to which uh, Dickens did not lend a helping hand. Very busy, active man. Um, and in 1843, he published this book, uh, Christmas Carol. And I, was, I didn't think about this till yesterday. I thought, why is it called a Christmas Carol? Because that's the thing we sing, right? Why is it called the Christmas Carol? I just always took it for granted that that was the name. So I looked it up, and apparently he called it a Christmas Carol because he expected and hoped that the story would be repeated and shared uh, to bring people together, just as the singing of Christmas carols spreads joy when we share together in singing them each season. He hoped that that would be the case with his story, that it would be something shared, which is kind of amazing, another similarity, because we consider that the birth of Christ is similarly a story to be shared and repeated, the astonishing good news that God came to save us. So at its heart, a Christmas carol is a story of transformation, of change. At the beginning of the book, it's very clear that this Ebenezer Scrooge is, as Art Douglas said, a jerk. He was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Yet by the end of the story, this is what Scrooge said, he promises, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. 
And in between, there's been some form of transformation. So the book, as you probably know, begins with an introduction to Scrooge. He's in his counting house, counting his money. His uh, assistant clerk, Bob Cratchit, is there. Kermit the Frog is there. <laughs> it is my favorite version of the movie. Um, and, and Michael Caine, oh my goodness me. He's a terrible singer, wonderful actor. Um, so he's there, and you know, it describes that you know, there's one piece of coal for the clerk. It's just miserable, and it's Christmas Eve, and you know, Scrooge is like, I expect you want the whole day off tomorrow, and, and Bob's like, well, it is just once a year, and he's not happy about that. He, a nephew, his nephew comes to visit Scrooge, and he's bah-humbugging to him, and then these two people coming for charitable donations, and Scrooge chases them out. A small child comes and sings a carol at the door, and, and he is similarly just, you know, get, got rid of. Uh, so Scrooge, finally, he goes, has dinner on his own, goes back to his house on his own. I mean, he describes the fact that this is a big house and it's empty. Uh, he's rented out all the other rooms as office space to make more money, and he lives alone. And then as he comes up to the door, he looks at his doorknob, and it has the face of his former partner, uh, Marley. Jacob Marley is on the face, and it gives him a, quite a fright, and then disappears. So he goes into the house, prepares a little bowl of gruel because he's got a bit of a sniffle, um, sits by his little fire, and what happens is his old partner, uh, what are the guys from the Muppets called who are in the, up in the balcony? Yeah, those guys. The, the Muppet one, it's, it's imprinted in my head. I wish I'd ever watched it. But his old partner comes to visit Scrooge. Yeah, so, so I think we have a picture of that. Yeah, there we go. This is a great little illustration of that. So there's three things that we want to think about from this part of the story, because what we're doing in the season is we're going to talk about Jacob Marley's occurrence, then we're going to go to Christmas past, present, and future. Um, this time we're focusing on this strange appearance. So first thing is his appearance, we want to talk about that. Second thing is his message, and third is his purpose. So it's from the book, Marley's Appearance. You guys are going to just, just I'm going to read you some stories now, okay, little bits of the story. Just relax. Hope you've got a little cup of tea or coffee. You feeling comfortable? Okay, so just, just relax. I'm going to read to you. The same face, the very same Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights, and boots. The chain he dragged, because before he comes up, Mar uh, Scrooge hears, hears from beneath the house this rumbling, chattering chain sounds. The chain he dragged was clasped by his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was, it was made... For Scrooge observed it closely of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. So this phantom of Marley, whom he recognizes immediately as Marley, is covered in chains with cash boxes and padlocks and keys. What is that all about? So they get into this dialogue, and this is Marley's message, because Scrooge says, you are fettered, meaning chained up, said Scrooge, trembling. Tell me why, tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I made it of my own free will. And of my own free will, I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know, pursued the ghost, the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself, Scrooge, my old friend? The chain was full, as heavy and as long as this seven Christmases ago, Scrooge. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Scrooge glanced about him on the floor in the expectation of finding himself surrounded by 50 or 60 fathoms of iron cable, but he could see nothing. You following the story? Mom's in chains, and he suggests that, Scrooge, you too have your chains. Scrooge can't see them. Well, 
Scrooge is, is a bit concerned about this. He says, but you were always a good man of business, Jacob, faltered Scrooge, who now began to apply this to himself. So he's like, hmm, I don't like the way this is going. So, hey, we're good men of business. You know, we're good people. We do good business. The ghost replies, business, cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. He's realized something, this Jacob Marley. It held up its chain at arm's length as if that were the cause of all its unveiling grief and flung it heavily upon the ground again. At this time of the rolling year, the specter said, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? So that's his message. But then here's his purpose. I'm here tonight to warn you that you may have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, a chance and hope of my making Ebenezer. Scrooge replies, you're always a good friend to me, said Scrooge, thank ye. You will be haunted, resumed the ghost, by three spirits. I, I think I'd rather not, said Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, okay then. I, I love it also, it's important to realize that he says, a chance and hope of my making. Jacob Marley is, seems to have been the author of this, these events to come. Without their visit, said the ghost, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Hinted Scrooge. Isn't that so human too? Can we just get this thing over with now? Just quick, easy? Scrooge's response is this. Scrooge closed the window, examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double locked. He tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. And being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the lateness of the hour, went straight to bed and fell asleep upon the instant. So there's, there's the Jacob Marley encounter. And we can learn some good stuff from this, right? Wise counsel from old Jacob Marley. He's someone who's showing us that there's some truth to be learned. The first one is perhaps this, worship of money. You know, where your heart is, there is your treasure. It can be so dangerous when we find ourselves fully materialist as if that's going to be something that will give us satisfaction, security, all the things that we yearn for. We become according to what we love and value most. There seems to be a message there. He's, his chains are now forever part of him and he cannot escape them and he built them in his lifetime and Scrooge seems to have been doing the same. And the reality of our choices have a great impact on our destiny. And he seems to be talking about love of God and love of neighbor, and especially love of neighbor as the most important visible aspect of perhaps being a good God-following person. And those are all good lessons, and we could stop there and say, why well, isn't that a wonderful moral story that we can learn to be more moral people and be more good to our neighbors, right? But I think what stands out most in this is Marley's desire for Scrooge to avoid a similar fate. This is where we're going to kind of focus. Marley is sort of like a savior of some kind. He comes from this other world with a warning to Scrooge as his friend, his only friend. But it seems like they had a good friendship. There's a warmth between them. And now Marley comes to offer, to seek Scrooge's escape from this dreadful destiny. And remember this, Scrooge needs salvation, and salvation needs a savior. 
Salvation requires a savior. Scrooge needs salvation, and salvation requires a savior. But what about all the ghosts? You know, I had a couple of moments thinking, you know, is this really an appropriate thing to bring to the good folks of New Song Church? You know, there's ghosts in there. Is that really appropriate to tie in with a message about the gospel? We don't believe in ghosts coming and warning people that they need to change their ways, right? But then I started reading this thing we call the Bible, and it is full of appearances of such spirits all through the Bible for very similar purposes. The first one I'm going to mention is Saul, first king of Israel. The people said, we want a king, and we want a tough, strong king, because we want to be tough and strong like our neighboring places. And God's like, you don't need a king. In fact, you don't want a king. It's not going to be good. We want a king. Okay, you can have a king. Pick Saul, strong man, big guy. There's a part in the story after the prophet Samuel had died where Saul was not having a very good time. And even though consulting witches and that kind of thing was forbidden in the land, and Saul was meant to, you know, prevent that from happening, he went and consulted a witch to try and get some advice about what to do rather than going to God. And the story goes that to the surprise of the witch, the witch of Endor, by the way, her name is, which is that Star Wars? There were Ewoks in the room. But to the surprise of the woman and to the surprise of Saul, the woman says, I see a ghostly figure coming out of the earth. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 28. What does he look like? Saul asked, an old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said, and Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul said, I'm in great distress. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David, because you did not obey the Lord. Continues on, this warning, this judgment. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength had gone. Kind of similar in some ways, isn't it? Sadly, Saul did not repent, and within days was actually dead. Another king called Belshazzar, king of Babylon in the 6th century BC, was really a king called Belshazzar. This stuff is, you know, happened on the earth. There's historical evidence of this king. But it says that one day he was giving, in Daniel chapter 5, he was giving a feast for all of his people. And he decided, hey, fetch all of the, the cups and things from the temple that we ransacked. And let's drink food and stuff and drink out of those. That will be fun. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron, wood and stone. And then it says, you remember the story? Suddenly these fingers appeared of a human hand and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched as the hand wrote, his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. It's pretty Christmas carolish, isn't it? You know? Knees were knocking. This is the inscription that was written, many, many, tekel, parson. That's what it was written. So they got Daniel, God's servant, that he came and he, brought, he was brought to the king and he said, here is what the words mean, king. God has numbered your days of your reign and brought it to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting and your kingdom is divided and will be given to the Medes and the Persians, which is exactly what happened. I saw an appearance similarly, an appearance with judgment and warning. There's another one in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has brought before the governor Pontius Pilate, who is the one who holds Jesus' life, he thinks, in his hands to kill him or to set him free, will always be known as the one who said, I wash my hands, I'm not guilty of this man's death, and he washed his hands. But he is the one who sentenced Jesus to death by crucifixion because he wanted to keep peace in his jurisdiction, didn't want any fuss, he thought the easiest thing to do is just to kill this guy. 
But it's an amazing little part. You might not have seen this or remembered this, but in chapter 27 of Matthew, it says, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. So Pilate's wife sent this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Another instance of the same kind of thing of a warning being given. You know, there's another part in, uh, in Luke where it tells some people actually desired just such a visitation. They wanted this kind of thing to happen, to warn somebody about the impending doom that they were headed to if they did not change their ways. And it's found in Luke chapter 16. There's a story that says there was a man, a rich man, who doesn't have a name in this, but there was a poor man called Lazarus, and he was a beggar, and he would sit outside the, the gates of the rich man, uh, hoping to get scraps from the dogs after the dogs had had their fill, and he was covered in sores. Well, they both died, and Jesus tells a story that the rich man went to this not a very nice place, and Lazarus went to this really quite wonderful place. And there's a lot of talk about what that exactly means, but there was definitely a clear sense that they were separated. And the rich man says, you know, save me from my torment. But he also says, send Lazarus to tell my brothers and warn them about what their path is going to lead to if they don't change their ways. So it's pretty biblical. I think Charles Dickens had a sense of understanding about the themes of the Bible, and they're so powerful. Much of our art and our literature does the same thing. You draw out themes into songs and into art and into plays and, and theater and films that have these themes in them. So what are we to make uh, of this story in light of this Advent season? If it's just not simply about being a good person and, you know, being nice or giving turkeys to poor families, whatever, right? That's in the story, right? Well, here's something that's really interesting, which was probably not in any of the films. I don't know if there's any of the films I've ever seen. But there's a way that connects this story of the Christmas carol uh, with the world of the Bible, the biblical world, and especially in the concept of, of warnings and messages to people who need to hear them. Here's what it says. In, in a Christmas carol, Scrooge sits down by his fireplace, and it says that this about the fireplace, that it was this design around the fireplace. It says there was, each panel had a, a picture of some biblical event all around. So he's been sitting in front of this fireplace, so admirably, it was his home formerly, night after night after night after night, and there's all these pictures of all these events. It says there were Cain's and Abel's. Pharaoh's daughters, queens of Sheba, angelic messengers descending through the air on clouds like feather beds, Abraham's, Belshazzar's, that was the king of Babylon, apostles putting off to sea in boats, hundreds of figures to attract his thoughts, and yet the face of Marley, seven years dead, came like the ancient prophet's rod and swallowed up the whole. All he could see was the face of Marley amidst all of these biblical images from Scripture. All the characters in the Bible were arrayed before Scrooge, but it was the words of a friend and someone whose life he knew and understood that was needed to start to convince him of the need to, be cha to change. Scrooge needed salvation, and salvation requires a savior. And I think that might apply to us as we head in through Advent towards Christmas. We may be familiar with all the stories of the Bible Stories of Saul, the tragic first king of Israel, or Daniel interpreting the judgment of the king of Babylon, or all kinds of stories of angelic messengers. But do we know that we have a friend who comes to us in our particular place with understanding and knowledge and wisdom 
and conviction and a way towards change. Simply trying to change our ways, and as Scrooge said, honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all year is not our goal. It's not our goal. It works really well in a Christmas carol. But for our lives, we need something more. We need a friend. We need a savior. We're not so different from Scrooge. What was wonderful about the book, which you may also not have noticed if you've not read the book, I'm encouraging you to read the book, haven't I? I'm kind of into reading, you know? But yeah, there you go. Um, but there's so many more stories about Scrooge's early life. And he didn't, wasn't born a bad person. It was that through fear, through insecurity, through all these kinds of things that you see in the book, he gets to this point where he's now this closed down, mean, cruel, broken man. And I don't think that's too much different from us. He needed a friend to come and tell him that things were wrong. He was headed in a bad direction. But Jacob Marley could only do so much. He could only bring a warning. What we need to do is to welcome into our hearts the one that we are celebrating soon as arriving to me and to you to save us. We too need salvation. We too need to understand, as we're going to see in the next few weeks, what our past was all about and see our past redeemed. We need to be led into a purposeful new future and we need to be enabled to live in the present with wisdom and power. In Jesus Christ, we find the perfect image of a savior that we need. All through history, he has been coming. So all of these visitations, all of these times when God showed up, it was all coming from this heart of love that we see fully perfected in Jesus Christ, the one who gives us all that we need. You know, all these other ones were imperfect. All the other things we talked about, Saul and things, they brought judgment and fear. Jesus brings joy and freedom. You know, Scrooge's greatest fear in the story is death when he discovers that he is going to die and no one will mourn his passing. Jesus has defeated death. Christ comes and exposes our guilt, then takes care of it. You know, what's amazing is even this story behind the Christmas carol and all that is good about it, all that we can point to as being wise and good is the greatest story ever told of the redemption that comes through Jesus. So this season, we recognize that the Savior is coming. But it begins really small. Next week, we're going to talk about the Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas past. Melody is going to share about that. We're going to go back to Bethlehem. But we're also going to think about our lives in the past as the ghost shows Scrooge all the occasions of his life, some that were clear turning points where he could have made a different decision. We are confident that God is with us both in the past, in the present, and in the future. And we want to journey through here together uh, with expectation that God is meeting us right here, that we need salvation and we have a savior. We're going to go to communion now. You know, Christmas Carol, another thing in Christmas Carol is food. Lots and lots of food. Uh, and all throughout the Bible as well, there's a lot of different kinds of eating. And this one here is the central place where that all takes place. Because you know what's amazing about Christmas Carol? Oh, I'm going to kind of spoil it, Art. I'm so sorry. Scrooge does change his ways. And it kind of, and the one way he demonstrates that is he goes and buys this prized turkey and he, he gives it to Bob Cratchit's family. And 
they have, there's a lot of feasting going on. There's something so beautiful that recognizes our humanity and also our community about a meal shared. We just had Thanksgiving, right? You know, is there something that is so weird about it? Because it can be funky and it can be odd. You know, we have a, you know, I hope I'm not the strange uncle, you know, but there's usually a strange uncle or, you know, there's an argument about politics or, you know, whatever it might be, right? But it's beautiful as well, isn't it? You know, enjoying food together and celebrating, maybe remembering that it's, it's been a while since you've talked with some of these relatives. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. We spent over in, San, in Charter Oak, Ronna and I, with a few other people, with Penelope, who's over here. And it was a sweet, a simple and sweet time together. But this is, I love this so much because it has all of those elements. You know, if you are someone who wants to follow Jesus, the Savior, then you are invited to this table to come and take a piece of bread and a little bit of juice to remember this amazing sacrificial gift that he has given himself for us. That in our sin, in our lostness, in our fear and guilt and shame, we were not left without a voice and, a, and an act that would save us, but Jesus came into this world, not like some specter, not like some ghost, but in flesh and blood and lived a life like ours, and then he, was, he experienced the depths of evil that human beings can bring, but he conquered the grave, he defeated death, and now he offers us life, and he does this in a simple meal, a celebration of what he has done. So we're going to just, whenever you feel ready, take some time, open your heart up to God, say, this Advent, I want to know you better. I want to understand the depth of your love for me. I want to know that my past is redeemed, that my future is in your care and in your hands and that my present is full of purpose and power. And that in this present, we have brothers and sisters who will love us, walk with us, comfort us, pray with us, join us in singing songs of praise. So in your own time, you can come and take a piece of bread and a cup, and then we'll hold them and take them together shortly. table we are his he has accomplished everything necessary for us to live in the light of his full forgiveness and love and purpose even if we're experiencing challenges right now we are assured by the giving of his life there's nothing that can take us out of his hands. Lord, we take the bread now to remember that for love, you gave your body even to those who made themselves your enemies, such as your grace and your love and your mercy. And we take this bread with great thanksgiving. interesting that even though Scrooge found his way to a better way, there were still poor people. 
there was still injustice, so much suffering. And it was the same when Christ died and he rose again. He rose into a world that continues to experience suffering. But there is a a foresight looking forward to a day when he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more suffering, no more sin, no more darkness, no more death. So we take this cup recognizing that he has forgiven us and now he has called us to go into the world to share his love with others. Give us the power, Lord, to do so. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's sing together in worship.